I'm reading this morning from Judges 19, 1 through 17, 20 through 30, and 21, 25 ESV version. In those days, when there was no king in Israel, a certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim, who took to himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah, and his concubine was unfaithful to him, and she went away from him to her father's house in Bethlehem in Judah, and was there for, for some four months. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back. He had with him his servant and a couple of donkeys, and she brought him into her father's house. And when the girl's father saw him, he came with joy to meet him. And his father-in-law, the girl's father, made him stay, and he remained with him three days. So they ate and drank and spent the night there. And on the fourth day, they arose early in the morning, and he prepared to go. But the girl's father said to his son-in-law, strengthen your heart with a morsel of bread, and after that you may go. So the two of them sat and ate and drank together. And the girl's father said to the man, be pleased to spend the night and let your heart be merry. And when the man arose to go, rose up to go, his father-in-law pressed him till he spent the night there again. And on the fifth day, he arose early in the morning to depart. And the girl's father said, strengthen your heart and wait until the day declines. So they ate both of them. And when the man and his concubine and his servant rose up to depart, his father-in-law, the girl's father, said to him, Behold, the day draws to its close. Lodge here and let your heart be merry, and tomorrow you, may, you shall arise early in the morning for your journey and go home. But the man would not spend the night. He rose up and departed and arrived opposite Jebus, that is Jerusalem. He had with him a couple of saddled donkeys, and his concubine was with him. When they were near Jabus, the day was nearly over, and the servant said to his master, Come now, let us turn aside to this city of the Jebusites and spend the night in it. And the man said to him, We will not turn aside into the city of foreigners who do not belong to the people of Israel, but we will pass on to Gibeah. And he said to his young, to his young man, Come, let us draw near to one of these places and spend the night at Gibeah or at Ramah. So they passed on and went their way. And the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. And they turned aside there to go in and spend the night at Gibeah. And he went in and sat down in the open square of the city, for no one took them into his house to spend the night. And behold, an old man was coming from his work in the field at evening. The man was from the hill country of Ephraim, and he was sojourning in Gibeah. The men of the place were Benjamites, and he lifted up his eyes and saw the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old man said, where are you going, and where do you come from? And the old man said, peace be to you. I will care for all your wants. Only do not spend the night in the square. So he brought him into his house and gave the donkeys feed, and they washed their feet and ate and drank. And as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows surrounded the house, beating on the door. And they said to the old man, the master of the house, bring out the man who came into your house that we may know him. And the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, no, my brothers, do not act so wickedly since this man has come into my house. Do not do this vile thing. Behold, here are my virgin daughter and his concubine. 
let me bring them out now, violate them, and do with them what seems good to you. But against this man, do not do this outrageous thing. But the men would not listen to him. So the man seized his concubine and made her go out to them. And they knew her and abused her all night until morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. And as the morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was until it was light. And her master rose up in the morning, and when he opened the doors, the doors of the house and went out to go his way, behold, there was his concubine lying at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, get up, let us be going. But there was no answer. Then he put her on the donkey, and the man rose up and went away to his house. And when he entered his house, he took a knife, and taking hold of his concubine, he divided her limb by limb into 12 pieces and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. And all who saw it said, such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day that the people of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it. Take counsel and speak. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The word of the Lord. Amen. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, like I said, last week I was in New York um, doing a retreat for a church. And this has kind of been a busy season um, for me uh, for engagements outside of Christ Central. And so I, I want to apologize for that, just not being here. Let me let you know, I would definitely rather be with y'all. Um, it is hard to be at other people's churches and preach to them or some conference center or something like that. So I'm, I'm definitely glad to be back. I'm also glad that this is the last week we're going to be reading this text. Um, like, um, I, I don't want to read it too much because then it becomes normative, and it's not designed to be normative. It is definitely designed to be extreme and to have an effect on you as you read it, like it did the Israelites at the end. Like, what in the world is going on? So we've been going through a sermon series this fall entitled, I'm Asking for a Friend, where we seek the Bible for answers to questions you have sent me via email that you or your friends or community outside of this church may have that may be barriers to belief for them. And we'll, and, well, we've taken rather a, a, a bigger than expected bite out of the question of misogyny and the Bible. And considering all that has been going on in our society with the Me Too movement, the increasing disclosure of sexual and power abuses against women in the workplace and society, and the sexual misconduct accusations against the newly seated Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh that have, has left Christians divided I think we need some time and needed some time on this topic. So why does the Bible seem misogynistic in its stories and what it presents in this Bible as its religious culture? I can, without a doubt, and you've seen this through the last two parts to this sermon, um, not because God, 
the God of the Bible or the instruction of the Bible. No, not because God, the one who created male and female, is misogynistic or his message is misogynistic, but because we human beings are. Even his people can be. So as we saw in the first sermon, God put it in the Bible on on straight blast as as a way to expose it as sinful and wrong. That's the first thing we recognized. Second sermon, we learned that the Bible exposes misogyny, and we see it happening in the culture, uh, uh, God's culture, I mean, uh, the, the Jewish culture, God's people, as a way to call men to better. And this week, and finally, the Bible shows the evils of misogyny, exposing it to encourage women in particular, and then our community to better. And so we can move forward like the two sermons before. Let me give you this definition once again of misogyny. Misogyny is defined as the hatred of contempt for or prejudice against women or girls. Misogyny is manifested in numerous ways, including social exclusion, sex discrimination, hostility, androcentrism, patriarchy, male privilege, belittling of women, violence against women, and sexual objectification. Last time I talked about the call of men who enter into any relationship with their gender counterpart that men should call, are called to channel and encourage and protect female dignity in all they do. That was the last time we talked. Today, we turn to the role of women as far as misogyny is concerned. And I'm going to leave a lot of the practical and theological applications for the ministry of our women to, uh, um, to the ministry that our women have to us and, and to each other in this church to spell out some of this. I'm not going to get into all the applications. We can share some incredible resources in this area if you want more. The person who opened my eyes, as a matter of fact, to how to interpret this text uh, is Barbara Roberts, if you remember that name. She has a blog and a couple of books. Got to see her in person at a conference, and she was awesome. But we have Truth's Table coming in a couple of weeks. Those are three uh, uh, women um, that have made such an impact in, 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 our, in our church and in, in across the country and as women as they talk about these issues. But I just want to be careful to only go where I believe God's called me to go. I mean, God actually says older women teach the younger women, right? Like, that's theirs, right? It it is up to the women in this church who have the gospel, who have been changed by God to instruct not only younger women, the other women, but as they instruct them, instruct us in some of what is going on. So I'm going to stay out of some of that. But there are a couple things from this text that are clear. The Bible is calling women in this world where misogyny seeks to harm them to, number one, know their worth. And secondly, to know their space. Right? I didn't say place. Space. 
Now, we have already covered the biblical standard that this concubine slave wife thing that you see in Scripture, you see in ancient Middle Eastern culture or or even other cultures of undervalued women. Sometimes they call it something different in other places or wives are still treated in the same way. But this this, this, uh, concubine thing of undervalued women bought or sold for sexual surrogacy or, or housekeeping favors was pointed out by Jesus as wrong. As a twisting of what God intended and represented misogyny in its earliest forms. Now, in the ancient Middle Eastern legal system, you paid a dowry or or bride price for a free wife. That's a real wife, a full wife, right? In this situation, in Judges, we know this priest, as we've read, wanted this woman as a concubine, a slave wife, because he had a heart and goal, as we can look at the whole story now, that was not what God intended for her ultimately. He was a misogynist or practicing these in this way. And, and the misogynistic culture around him let him flourish in that. It freed him to do what he did. As a matter of fact, the scripture never tells us that this man went to jail for what he did. Right? Got away. Last time in part two, we also looked at this passage from Genesis. Back when God made the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, in Genesis chapter one, it says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then it says, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This was Genesis first chapter. This was the beginning, y'all. Male and female were equal recipients and both had the glory of being created in God's image and both were given the right and reign, right, to work and to get resources from their labor. And that kind of speaks to wage and work equality. You should check that wage gap um, documentary on um, Explained on Netflix. It is ridiculous, right? What's going on with the wage gap as far as women are concerned? But I want you, that's just an aside, because I want you to look at the more intimate details of how this image was distributed and confirmed by God. Again, the details matter. Look at what it goes on to say in Genesis. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And I got a really, really good article sent to me by Elder um, Bill Marquardt and some of the things they're doing in the men's Bible study on Sunday morning about the interpretation of a helper, um, the Hebrew word ezer, um, and how that's described. And it's not the same thing as, hey, you know, like, like Tonto, like a sidekick, right? Or that kind of thing, or, or the co-star, um, and I'm the star. No, it was, it's, it's a completely different interpretation. In fact, God is called Ezer a lot in the Bible. So we, we, that's an aside, man. I'm telling you, I feel really overwhelmed right now because when I started to put this sermon together, I was like, I'm frustrated because there's too much to say about this. Like, we should actually spend more time on this in our church. Okay, moving on. Let me get back to the sermon. And so it says, the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. And if you want that article that I talked about, let me know. Uh, I'll email it to you. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and he closed up in its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. 
This is important as you listen to this. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Okay, the more intimate relationship here is marriage. The less intimate relationship here is just uh, two human beings living on earth together. The priest in the story, the father in the story, and the men in her life being the people in power in that particular culture and situations should have shown her like Adam did for Eve and used all they had to convey equal dignity and worth and value to her. So in a world where only a man could actually get an inheritance, he would give a dowry that at the very least, like we saw happening in the garden, right, communicated she is free to and with the inheritance that I've received. So that he, as an inheritance recipient, is doing all it takes for her to enjoy and live in and off that inheritance in a way that said what Genesis says, that this woman in my life, in whatever way, marriage or working with her or hired by me, whatever it is, okay, is created in the image and likeness of God as much as any man and is called to develop and take dominion and market it and work with it and make good on the inheritance God has not just given me, but us. Us. You see, the marriage thing back then was, 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 a, was patterned after what the marriage thing we do today was patterned after what happened in the garden. And I've married some of y'all in here, okay? And when you put the ring, y'all probably don't remember because y'all were all in love and all, right? But I remember, so you put the ring on your finger and he says, with this ring, right, I give all that I am right? And all that I have to honor you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Like you made it holy and all. <laughs> but think, with all that I am and all that I have, I honor you. The woman says to the man, the man says to the woman. So what we see is a pattern in the garden. Now I'm getting somewhere with this woman. Just, just give me a minute. When Adam created first, all right, the Bible talks about Adam being created first. It's significant. And the Bible makes this significant. We're not here to talk about that quite yet. When Adam created first, received the land, let's call that the inheritance, right? Like men in the culture received the inheritance, received the land first. He welcomed Eve into the world, and when he welcomed her in the world, based, that she was, based on the fact that she's made the image and likeness of God equal to his, he was saying, look at what God has given us. Look at what it means for us to be completely human. Let me share it with you. Let me show you around the garden. Let me show you what it means to work the land. Help me name the, left, the rest of the animals that got left to name, right? Like, this is ours. Welcome to not my inheritance, right? Even though I received it first, but our inheritance that I now want to share with you. What does it mean to know your worth as a woman? Even if this thing plays like it is a man's world first. Hear me now. 
regardless of the role you play, even even being created second, just created second, that you regardless have all the rights and standing of the inheritance of humanity because the father, because your father is God. Because your father is rich and has made you as rich as any son like and with any son he could ever have. Now it makes sense why the concubine went home in the story to her father. She went back because she already had a worth that the priest may not have been capable or willing to live up to, which means even as a concubine, which was wrong, she had full God-given value before and after this man and madness came into her life and she went out into the world in a world of misogynistic madness. Her worth was hers the day she was born and conceived all the way to the unfortunate day in the story when she was murdered. Do you live and know that right now about you, know this about you, women in the room, regardless of how things work or have worked or worked against you socially or culturally, recognize that you already have worth, a worth equal to any other human being, regardless of what society says or how you may have been treated or maybe treated wrongly or less than. I don't care what the history is or undervalued you might be in your wage or the expectations or, or sexism with or without a daddy or husband or boyfriend or executive position that you deserve, whether you've been abused, played, or ignored. You have not lost the inheritance of human worth that your father has given you that happened while you were still in the womb of your mother. Amen. And what that means is this. You don't actually need a man or a man's world in your life to have or give you or for you to know the full value God the Father has for you. Now, a good relationship, I ain't against relationship. I'm married, right? I'm not against relationship. I got plenty of sisters in this church. I'm so happy, right? I got and my mama, I mean, who led me to the Lord. I'm not against that, okay? Now, a good relationship and acceptance in this world may help you remember your worth, right? In hard times, it may stir it up and remind you and show you when things are tough, this world and the relationships you have are designed to help shield it from being injured. But a man, hear me carefully though, but a man and this broken world and systems cannot actually give you what is not theirs inherently to give. The dignity and worth that would come through any man or job or position only comes through him or it, like a conduit, but it does not originate from him or it. That's why this, this, this priest had to go to the father. It wasn't his. Her value was hers. It was caught up in her relationship with her daddy, and he had to come, and he had to negotiate that by saying, guess what? I'm going to show your daughter the worth she deserves, and then when she goes with me, that value will continue. Understand. 
that what would come through any man or system for you as a woman was for you and about you all along sent from God before he or they or it got there and after any man or this world is gone. Do you hear that? That's, what I, that's why I believe this concubine went back home to her father. She knew and recognized where her sense of worth was with her father, her originator. Just like any, man, any of you women with your God. But some of you, my sisters, have put yourself in harm's way. In vulnerable and dangerous situations. Because you believe you needed a man. Or a certain defined role to be a woman, right? Or needed more or less than God to feel like you are valuable. The two could actually not inherit the earth or get everything God had for you without a man or certain role. And you were willing to go for or be sold out at a concubine rate to get it. When your worth and inheritance of worth is from the Father, not from any man or system. Your Father God sets your value, not any earthly man and not any earthly institution. I don't want to make this lighter easy because it ain't. It's complicated. Because motherhood, right? is a result of two people coming together in a relationship. So I, 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 I realize that we, we begin to, that, that some of that worth and value is, is fleshed out in certain roles. So I'm not taking that away. And I, I don't want to make this a lot easier because things haven't changed much since back then, right? Not much. Just, just, just kind of the, 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 uh, the historical pieces, right? But, but women as the central issue. Uh, I mean, women being treated this way. Women still seen to be waiting and hoping and having to have men get something that they can't have on their own, on their lonesome, right? Let's make it complicated. What about love? <laughs> what if you just want to be in love? What if you want someone just adoring you? What if you just want some equal treatment or power? Man, we all want a little power, right? And that's tragic that there are those of you and us who we can't get that because things are broken, right? That some of you have failed to be loved and adored and properly respected in this world by a man and in your relationship with men or in the marketplace as a woman. Failure after failure, false hope after false hope. But what has this woman in this story shown you and us? That among the failures and brokenness of this world, <laughs> that God wants to keep you from the terrors of misogyny. Get this from things worse than not having a husband. From things worth, worse rather than not having a daddy or being a mother or being what society says is the ultimate female. Christian society says about being, uh, I'm going to say Christian society, that's not fair. Like certain churches say about being good Christian wife or having that promise security. This story proves that there are things worse 
and more detrimental to your core than doing whatever it takes to get that position in the company or worse than not being married and not finding love. Just ask those in relationships. Look at the story of women like this concubine who have been taken from the security of their heavenly father's love and dignity and enslaved with unfair expectations and abuse and being a sex thing, yes, even in marriage. Where some people even use scripture and all of that to demand sex or, or cheated on or lied to or trapped in a relationship. Like with this priest of the story, letting his wife, his woman, his boo, if you will, pay for and slave for his dignity, for his security and needs, and then objectified and torn apart to save his life. For what? And we are, would risk that to What? Be an undervalued woman and wife? To not be lonely? To feel pretty and wanted? To be in control of your life? To be secure? To not be embarrassed? To give of yourself, right? To be willing to give yourself to that sort of enslavement for love, becoming some sort of sex symbol, or, oh, I'm just going to go ahead and play the woman role at work? Right? Possibly allowing yourself to be abused, to fit into this mold of, of some less than biblical, extra biblical picture of womanhood, or going along and giving and understanding yourself for someone you think you can change into who and how you want them to value. That's too much. All of that is like misogyny on yourself. I'm not valuable enough, so I'll just go along with it. I don't, I, I gotta be married. I, I can't be alone tonight. <laughs> Look at my girlfriends. Look at Facebook. Everybody happy? They all booed up, right? <sighs> the culture is pressuring to get what you really can't apart from the Lord. And I know that's a big stretch. I, look, I'm the same way, man. People are like, oh, you, you, you need to turn to the Lord. Man, I see what other people got, man. They happy. I don't want to just have what the Lord gives me sometimes. It'll get better. Heaven's coming. I don't want to wait for heaven. I want mine's now. Sometimes that's my prayer life. I want mine now, God. I don't want to wait. There'll be enough left in heaven, but let me get a little on earth. Shoot, I'm a black man in America. I want mine now. I don't want my 40 acres and a mule in heaven. Everybody will have it then. I want mine now. <laughs> But the amount of distance from the worship and worth God is calling you to, God doesn't think it's worth it. Not for you, my sisters. Now hear me, I'm not talking about having an entering to perfect relationships. They don't exist. 
You know, sometimes, especially the ones of you who don't have, who aren't married, sit down with some of us. You don't even have to have a formal situation with me and Kelly. Just come to our house and you know. <laughs> Man, I'm, I don't want to go because I'll be preaching too long, but I'm just like, people come and hang out with me and Kelly like, dang, they going to get divorced? Like, she, like, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with her? Shouldn't they at least act the part? No, we not. It's a struggle. Come on. Right? I say ask people who are in relationship. So it's not perfect. So here's my point. You can be a change agent, right? So, 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 okay. I got a little off there. Got a little off. There won't, not, I'm not trying to say there's perfect relationships. They don't exist where they won't be sacrificing pain and struggle. Where marriage to another sinner is bad or wrong. Or entering this workplace, all of a sudden it's going to be great at eight. Because every relationship has that. But relationships where there is no freedom, a way for you to be honored. And for those relationships to accentuate a work on. Where, 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 where you don't have freedom to work on that relationship. Where like this woman, when it comes to your worth, it is nothing but a dead end that will tear you apart. For, and for that, God is giving a space for broken women to go with their misogyny broken lives. Let me say this. It is not your job. And I kind of uh, kind of intimated a little bit on this. It is not your job or in your powers, sisters, or in your list of abilities to change men or the world around you. Now, hear me now. You can be a change agent. You on the agency, right? You just... You, you got your number, like you, you got your badge, you got your agency, right? Or used to bring change in a misogynistic world and in the hearts of men around you, but you are not the power and person of that change. Okay, and, and we're going to get back to the text. Y'all like, he ain't preaching the text. Yes, I am. I've been on this text a lot. Okay, so, so, so you have to come and bring your brokenness to a space where the Lord can bring hope and power to it. All your brokenness, all your past mess, right? Now, hear this. The Bible says she went where in verse 2? Back home to her father's house. And welcomed who? The priest, her husband, into his house. To what? To what? To face and meet the father. They didn't have the conversation out in the parking lot. No? Right? He was like, hey, Get, get, get on a donkey with me. Let, let's talk, girl. You know, let's get in the car and talk. No, that's not what happened. She welcomed the priest into the father's house to meet the father and meet his, her father for his responsibility of being a son-in-law to do what is right and just for his daughter. The, the, the priest is called and drawn to a space where he has to face the one who held the reins and rights to her sense of worth. Y'all see that? And last week we went deeper into this idea that the father who in a partial sense represents God, it ain't a perfect sense, God, it's a partial sense, right? Um, I believe the father wines and dines the priest as a way uh, to do what verses 5 says? To strengthen your, what does that scripture say? Heart. Right? And and heart, and and verse 6, that you would make merry your heart. 
heart and the same things. And, and we see that in, in verses 8 and then 9 again. The Father alone, the Scripture is telling us, has the ability to change the priest to hold audience and power over the priest's devaluing of his daughter by working on his heart. Now I know it is every woman's fantastic belief that her powerful nature, and it's pretty powerful, can work to change their man and their world and condition. And a lot of that is the pressure that's kind of laid on you to have to do it. We say, oh, behind every good man is a good woman. In other words, you, you got to change him, right? You've heard the term, the man is a head, but the woman's a neck, right? All that stuff. But the true role and calling is not to change the heart of a man, but to draw him. Point him to. See, she's joyful, not, I don't think, necessarily to, to necessarily see the priest, but now he gets to meet up with daddy, right? To send him away, even. To welcome into him into, to remind him. Hear this. To leave him to the daddy. To get from in between the interaction, relationship, and accountability, and potential heart change that those in authority in this world and systems must have with God himself. So that as a woman in the battle against misogyny in the world, the Lord is saying, bring the fight that is deep within the hearts of people. It is a broken problem, not just a psychological, social, legal issue, and it is all those things, only as those things are used to help guide people and men and women of this world back to God, the Father Creator, the only one who can actually change the thing at the core. Now I'm offering you another solution. Oh my gosh, if you go to any other nonprofit organization, there's legal issues, there's psychological, you can do social stuff. And you know what? As the church, I believe all those things are important. But the Bible tells us the law, right? What we can do to, to change people actually doesn't change people. Now, I agree. The law is important. It stops us from being as mean and sinful and misogynistic as we could be. And I think we should go all out on it. Signs and, 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 march, and, and marching and picketing and protesting and, and writing our senators and, and not letting people be in positions where they should be. I'm all for it. Come on. But if you think that's going to change the core of the thing, it won't. Preach. As a pastor, I can't tell you the amount of stories I've heard about women thinking they can change their men and world. And some of them do it by thinking if they can just get prettier, thinner, and become more or less of this, not too ethnic this way, not too ethnic that way. Maybe his behavior may be better for a while. But as we see in the story, only the father of the daughter can change the heart of anyone to see themselves as more valuable. And for a man to see how to treat his wife or sister or female neighbor or employee or mother or female boss. But if you get in the middle to be a sacrificial lamb or savior out, you will be crushed and put yourself in a vulnerable place as a woman. You have no place being. I say this for a reason. Wise girl, friends, sisters, mothers of disrespectful sons and misogynistic workplaces, yes, be an agent for change, psychologically, socially, and legally, and even politically for the better, but by all means above anything else when all else fails, and it will, find yourself in a space to tell 
your daddy. To show them your daddy. Your daddy's God. And he holds justice and power to change hearts and whole worlds. Like, like what the Bible says, there could be a, not a king only, king, they got a lot of kings, but over all the kings are an emperor. The Bible teaches us that God can take an emperor and be like, today you're an emperor, tomorrow you're eating grass. Huh? How'd that happen? Right? He can do it. Who's your daddy? The Lord, strong and mighty. And he holds your worth. And I'm just putting these quick hits together for time's sakes. But the passage is that the man is his father-in-law, his father too. That God is asking, especially, and I'm going to go ahead and say it because I don't know if I ever get to it again. In dating and marital relationships, do y'all have the same father? No, don't. You know, we joyfully welcome him folk in. You know, we call it missionary dating. And I, and I have to say, it's actually worked out for some of y'all. Right? You know why? Because God's gracious. Right? Now, y'all can bring him in. Right? To this house. But maybe you shouldn't bring him into your house. Right? Like... You can bring him into this intimate place where he's going to have an encounter with God. I'm talking to the women, right? It's okay today? Okay. You can bring him into the intimacy of this relationship, right? But don't bring him into the intimacy of relationship with you if he doesn't know your worth. And he cannot know your worth if the father is not feeding his heart. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And aside, fellas, the kind of woman that'll move out the way and let you have to face God, look, I'm married to somebody like that. And I grew up a mama's boy. So I'm used to just taking. Like, could you be a cushion for me? Because it's so hard being a man. <laughs> Women, move out the way. Remember he said prayer has feet? Man, that thing work in the day, Brittany. Thank you. Like, <laughs> praying has feet in this way. As you pray, what you shouldn't do is put yourself in the middle. Right? You can't let him suck you dry. God's got all he needs. It really sucks having a woman that says, I'm out of the way. I'm with you because I'm married with you. I love you. Oh, my gosh. But you got to reckon with God with what's empty on you. You're not going to use me and abuse me to do that. Right? And you know what? The father is joyful to have you, broke, broke down man. He loves being around people like me. Move out the way. Oh, I hate that. It's so much easier just to lean on and kind of have like a mommy and a wife. Can you just take my brokenness, please? No. Because you won't get any better that way. 
It'll just be behavior change after behavior change. And here we go again. And you're going to do better. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You No, it don't work like that. We're not saved by works, but by grace. Right? A space and place where you can not only bring and show and leave you with for your heart to change and be kept in check. But final point here, where she can run for justice and comfort from the hurt of misogyny. Look, there are no two ways about it. This woman was not able to escape her marriage or the pain or her hurt. After the father fed the priest, he still took her. He still set up and instigated her rape and murder, and he took a knife and cut her up and disgraced her and divorced her from justice. And this is sad, and it shows a powerless situation with one caveat. This woman kept coming back to a space and place of her dignity. She goes back home in part one of the story. Then after she is raped and murdered all night, the Bible says she crawled. She dragged herself back to the threshold of the house where her husband was staying and threw her out and surprised him with his, her presence. And then though dismembered, y'all, a whole community had to face their brokenness because they were shown hers, even though they still missed the bigger picture. I know. My sisters, my mothers, this misogynistic world has made you lonely and vulnerable and despising yourself or hating men or hating certain women or you have crawled from an experience of violence and sexual abuse and, and being underpaid or ignored, ignored and are dead inside and have decided just to get used and become the image of what is accepted and beautiful by some uncertified social and cultural standard of beauty or femininity and some of you are so torn to pieces by the world's perception and rejection and shallow acceptance of what it means to be a woman to be feminine and that you no longer know what it means to be a whole woman. To be complete, to be loved, to be dignified. You can't even go along with the community around you see. You can't go along, you can't along with the community around you see what it even means to be a woman. Biblically even. Because it has been so dismembered and abused and confused. But this is what, is God, what God is saying in the middle of all that confusion and anger and pain and destruction and abuse to bring that home, to bring that to him, back to him to be redeemed by him, to bring it all before him, before each other, into this church community and, for, and, 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 and to us to say, God, help me. Like the Israelites did. God, help us. Put us back together again. Give us a joy again. Give us love again. Give us womanhood and manhood again. Because we are lost in this misogynistic world and what it has done to tear us to shreds. It only happens in this space with your father, only your God, my priest, and only in the community that is holy. Do you see that? Oh, it's so hard because let me tell you, when it says Israel has no king, all the figures that would typically be Christ figures or redeeming figures are not. So walk carefully with me as we get to this final point. You see three figures here, right? They're not complete. They're all broken. You got the father, right? You have the priest and you have the community. God has given you a space to run to him. God, the Father, your Savior, like this woman did, back to the place and words of her original worth, right? That's number one. 
like this woman did, having been violated and living in this world vulnerable, back to Jesus, the priest. Okay, this priest in the story is, is busted, but I'm talking about Jesus, the priest, who has come and actually gone out into this world's brokenness with you and you with him and like this woman, finally to be known before and in your community like she was as what is happening in this world, in this congregation, in this city, and in this family, in this life to women, and to cry before all three justice and righteousness, healing and deliverance, wholeness and love now, Lord God. I'm going to address this in short. The last group, God's community, seen here in the passage as the tribes who received the pieces of the woman's body in verses 29 and 30. And this is the only reading I'm going to do because there's so much to say here. It says in verse 29, And when he entered his house, he took a knife and taking hold of his concubine, he divided her limb by limb into 12 pieces and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. And all who saw it said, Such a thing is never or been, has never happened or been seen from the day that the people of Israel came up uh, out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, take counsel and speak. Twelve pieces were sent out for twelve tribes of Israel who represent today's church. I just got to trust a the theological thing here. That in the church then, hear me, this is so ironic because of the, where the question came from. This should be the place and community where women should feel free to find space for the problem of misogyny to be heard and seen, to be clear and explicit, like this body part would be, right? And vividly see and know how destructive it is and has been for them and kind of be believed. To let their stories and voices not be hidden, like it is so many times before, or redefined to justify misogyny because it's too big and it's too hard, but a place to be seen and heard and gotten justice for. Are we that community? That at Christ Central Church, hopefully, we are a space and place. The community like this pastor says, heck no, this can't happen and won't happen. Our Lord and God and King, her father, won't let us sit quiet. We will go to battle for our women in this world and in the church out of love for them and love for God and how he has made them to flourish as human beings and will demand justice and righteousness for them. But it also means we turn the power of Jesus to bring justice and healing and conversation and long-suffering and healing and growth and stick to itness and repentance and confession at how messed up we are and offer forgiveness in this place and in our stories and lives. Are we that community? But I know that when it comes to massaging, no one understands and knows a woman's struggle like another woman. I feel like a hypocrite up here talking. Hey, wait a minute, let me tell you something. Shh. Sit down and shut up. That's the little voice inside. So how can the church and the message of the gospel, which is historically male, and sometimes misogynistic male leadership, really be a trusted and hopeful space? I'll tell you how. Do you realize that the Lord Jesus came to be the female in the story of misogyny being redeemed? That on the cross, to become the Father's valuable possession, but handed over under contract to the world to die, Jesus took on the form of a concubine? You see, Jesus might have biological, biologically gender-wise been a man, 
but he was in the nature of his ministry and his death and how he agreed with God the Father to come and basically be wed, married to a broken society and people. Jesus was the concubine. He was the woman. Not valued by the world, wearing the scarlet letter and rejected for looking and smelling like an adulterer. That's what he was on the cross. Do you know that? And Jesus became and embraced all of that so no woman would have to. So it would never be okay for any woman to be treated like that because he already on the cross became every woman. And now every woman and every man too who come to him, strange enough, can become Jesus's bride. Male and female in Jesus become the bride of Christ only because Jesus was treated like the world's most despised concubine. We are in Christ. Now we are too valuable to ever leave our Father's care ever again. We are highly favored and valued. Because Jesus freely gave himself to the world of sin to powerfully redeem manhood and womanhood. And do you know when he rose from the grave, what happened? Misogyny was defeated. That's where we're headed toward. Do you know that was we're walking toward because of Christ? Let us go to him and turn to him. If you're not a believer today, there is no other hope in this world for this issue outside of Christ. If you caught up in some relationship or you've just been demeaned and dogged, there's no hope outside of the one who died for it. Community, it's time to step up. It's time to talk. It's time to confront. It's time to share. It's time to believe. That guess what? Oh man, let's not go there because if we open that up, y'all, it's over. You know, we complementarians at this church and our ordination stuff, we scared. No one's scared because, because the scripture is clearly about worth and value through Christ Jesus, right? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for the inherent worth of women. Dignity in the womb before they even knew their name. You knew them. No man or system gave that or could take it away. Help us, Lord, to find the space with the Father where we can see people changed where we can bring folk in, where we can run to. Oh, Lord, the degree of shame in this room is ridiculous on both sides. We're shamed. We've been a part of this. We've let ourselves be a part of this. Forgive us, Lord Jesus, and free us. Thank you for your forgiveness, and thank you for your powerful change. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.